0: Pot, grass, shake, bud, ganja,
1: chronic, cannabis, cannabis. Whatever term you use, less than ten years ago, it was a product that was trafficked in the shadows. Hey buddy, hey, hey buddy, psst, psst, hey buddy. And today, in Oregon and many other states in the U.S., you get a receipt and a bag with your purchase. Thank you. Come again. I'm Travis Box, and I am. Fascinated by the complexities of what seems like a voter approved gold rush happening in real time. Will we cultivate Oregon's greatest cash crop ever? Or will this great experiment in legalization go up in smoke? <coughs> Each episode, I'll sit down one-on-one with the major players in the Oregon cannabis industry, the activists, the medical professionals, the legislators, the economists, the regulators, and the lobbyists. How did Oregon get to this place in history? And where does this budding billion-dollar industry go from here? You see what I did there? You're listening to Mainstream Weedia on The Coin Podcast Network. What do you do when you worked hard, overcome challenges, and land that dream corporate job, but after years still feel unfulfilled and dissatisfied? This episode, we speak with someone who took a lifelong love of cannabis and, with the help of friends and family, used that love to unlock the golden handcuffs of his corporate career. In doing so, he embodies a spirit of both paying back and paying forward finding his true passion and helping address social justice all while building his brand and flying the cannabis flag high proud and loud you're listening to mainstream media hi this is jeff Giannola from coin six news and i'd like to invite you to watch coin six news at 10 on portland cw it's our award-winning newscast one hour earlier at 10 o'clock. A full hour of the stories that are important to you and your family from the news team that's watching out for you. Plus, Portland's most accurate forecast certified by weather rate from Chief Meteorologist, Natasha Stenbach. See why more people are switching to Coin 6 News at 10 on Portland CW. Watching out for you. Welcome back to Mainstream Media. Jesse Horton is the CEO of Loud Cannabis here in Oregon. That's L-O-W-D. He's also been involved in the Minority Cannabis Business Association, and among a litany of other social and economic justice endeavors in the industry, he and his wife, Jeanette Ward-Horton, worked with the city of Portland to found New Project, the subject of one of our previous episodes. Jesse, let's start at the beginning. What led you to the cannabis industry?
0: You know what, I think it's been a twist of faith in addition to just a real passion. You know, I always had a love for cannabis since I was 16, you know, in high school, always been a stoner all throughout college, you know, still did really well in, in school. So, you know, I always thought I would go the traditional corporate route and that's what I did. Even after being arrested for cannabis, I was lucky enough to land an engineering job, but after seven years of that, you know, and still being a stoner and, you know, not quite being happy in corporate America, I moved to Munich, Germany, and I uh, did about a year and a half there at headquarters, and then got lucky enough for them to move me back to Portland, Oregon, which was a completely different place. I'd never been anywhere on the West Coast at all, not even visited. You know, they dropped me right in the middle of of the medical cannabis revolution. and that's that's really what led me there, a twist of fate, but you know, passion once I found it, I was in love, and I wanted to get deeper and deeper.
1: What year did you get dropped in Oregon?
0: I got dropped into Oregon in 2011.
1: So Oregon has a medicinal market, but we're still a few years from the passage of Measure 91 and a recreational market.
0: Yeah, from what I remember, um, the medical bill, at least when I got more involved, and really kind of got deeper, was a little after I started growing in my basement. So maybe around 2012, 13 was when House Bill, I think 3460 or one of those numbers, was deciding the medical dispensaries, right? And going all the dispensaries that have been operating, we're now going to go and get their license with OHA or with the state, I believe it was. So that was a really exciting time and, you know, taught me a lot and you know, helped me to get into the grind of what was happening.
1: Now, tell me the story of Loud. I've lived in the Pacific Northwest my entire life, and I don't know a thing. about cultivating the plant, but I'm very fascinated in the science behind it. Do you have a scientific degree in biochem or botany? No,
0: no, not nearly. No, no. I, you know, I I tout myself as an engineer, but I was certainly the easiest of the engineering disciplines, which is industrial. It's really more engineering management, efficiency, process, design, with a little, you know, electrical uh, and mechanical in there as well.
1: Okay. So, Walk me back to when you first started to grow and when you realized, hey, I might have a talent for this and I might want to explore it and then taking it to the point of I'm going to do this. I'm going to open my business and where Loud is born. Yeah, man, um, Taking me
0: back. I, I remember those times vividly, uh, definitely. Before I, I moved to Portland, I was in Munich and I was kind of at the height of my corporate career and, you know, in this position that everyone wanted to be in at headquarters and kind of on my way in that corporate track. But I was very unhappy. I just wasn't really rewarded. or didn't feel rewarded by the, a lot of the work that I was doing. And ultimately, I I, I, made, I, I prayed, actually. I said, you know, hey, God, um, you know, I'm not a religious person, but believe in the universe and all these different things, right? said, so help me to find something where I can put my passion into it, right, along with my skills, because I know that, you know, my skills are great. I'm doing well in this corporate job, but I hate it. What would happen if I was able to put my passion into it, love it, and then come to work or do that job every day? You know, I felt like the sky was the limit. So I asked for that every night, actually. help helped me to find something I'm passionate about. And I realized that reaching my full potential, right, which is what I think it has a lot to do with why I was praying. I wanted to hit my full potential. I knew that reaching my full potential wasn't just about what I could do for myself, because I wasn't at my full potential and I was killing it, you know, in that position, right? I knew that reaching my full potential is about also what I can do to help other people. So I, you know, said that and maybe forgot about that, you know, happened to move to Portland, Oregon. And really just started hating my job even more, but started growing. I went to the grow shop, went to, to the dispensary and picked up a plant, you know, a clone. Uh, actually, a couple of them, one Jack jacarere and one black cherry cheesecake, picked up those clones put them in my backyard and just never looked back, you know, started, you know, went from there to the basement, spent all these hours sitting in grow shops, talking to the owners or talking to the workers in there about this or about that. A lot of time online when I should have been making sales calls and doing my actual engineering job, I was just in the basement trying to figure out how to get better and better. And I think that's when I, I kind of realized that I was loving something, but I still didn't make that connection. I don't think it was until I, joined with some people to start talking about minority cannabis business association and you know the fact that there was this big gap in this evolving industry for people like us right And we had benefited so much from this corporate training from these networks and all these different things that helped us to be successful we definitely knew that there was a big gap there so around the time that i was still growing in my basement and talking to these people about that, I realized that, you know, that world that I was kind of praying for, asking for, of doing something that I love, but also kind of being able to utilize that to help others was kind of right in front of me. And I think, you know, really quickly, I, I decided to, to quit my job. Actually within less than a year after I got into Portland, I actually turned in my letter of resignation three months, like maybe two and a half months ahead of time. Like most people are like two weeks. I couldn't wait to get that thing in because I knew I couldn't quit until a year was up because I had gotten a signing bonus, right, in order to move out there. So I had to stay, but I also knew I was done. So I I went ahead and turned that in and I never looked back from that point. That was around 2013.
1: What did it take to make the leap from growing in your basement to going into business? What was that moment that you went, I am now a part of this industry?
0: You know, it wasn't until my dad actually, who had spent some time in prison for cannabis and really tried his hardest to keep me away from cannabis. We had a really tumultuous relationship when I was in high school because of cannabis specifically, right? His disappointment in me connecting with it. It wasn't until he I told him that I wanted to quit. I told my mom I wanted to quit and she hung up on me. She didn't want to hear it. Right. I told my dad and he didn't really agree with it. But then after about a week or so of me continuing to talk about it, he he said, you know what, I'm, I'm proud of you. You've kind of identified like these golden handcuffs, right, where, you know, they give you this job and you're so tied to it financially that you can't do anything. You're essentially kind of a prisoner. So he was happy that I saw that and then decided to take 30,000 out of his 401k and also pull together some investor meetings with some of his retiree friends that he had been working with, you know, from his time of being a janitor, working his way up to upper management at his company. He had a lot of friends, uh, mainly black males who he really connected with throughout that journey. He called them, uh, we sat on a meeting and almost every one of them pledged some type of investment, whether it was 10,000, all the way up until uh, up to 90,000, one of his friends uh, chipped in. Then I realized, okay, I actually had the money to actually do something, which is, of course, you know, the number one thing, unfortunately, that you need to really make a dream reality in any business, but especially the cannabis business is some funds to
1: get you going. When you were first starting, What was it like back then getting actually set up for business, starting under different rules and the Oregon Health Authority from a medicinal standpoint to the transition to the recreational market and a brand new set of regulatory hoops with the OLCC taking control? I have to assume many in this brand new legal industry were not sure where it was going in those early days. What was it like?
0: You know, there were still two different worlds at that time. I think there were a lot of people like me who were, you know, kind of bootstrapping and really kind of getting it right. And they were, I think, we were feeling exactly like that. Of you know, we're not sure where quite where it's going, and you know, we're experimenting. We're kind of you know shooting our shot in a sense. But I also think there were a lot of players then, and they're now some of the largest companies in the cannabis industry, right? Who were well funded then you know who were definitely diving in and making the moves the real estate moves the licensing moves the the branding moves even at that time to put themselves as i mentioned at the top of the at the top of the national industry but you know for people like me who were still bootstrapping it was a, 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 a it was the best of times and it was the worst of times it was a point where we could you know take our our flour from our basement Go drop off a few grams to get it tested and then go straight over to the dispensary and drop it off, right? No tagging, no reporting, you know, no real big taxes and all these different things, right? It still had the ability to really grind it out and kind of get ahead, right? And get your chance. So I think a lot of us were experiencing that beautiful aspect of the industry during that time. And I think a lot of us at the same time were also experiencing some of those regulatory battles and regulatory issues. The way that I handled it, uh, actually, you know, it it hit me out of left field before I really actually got involved with the regulatory side of things uh, from a licensing standpoint. Whenever everything moved from medical to recreational, all of our investors, all of my family friends had put down their money. We actually found a plot of land in, in Multnomah County, but actually was at the edge of the National Scenic Area in the Gorge. And, you know, everyone was counting on Multnomah County being the county to go with, right? Because it's the Portland County. So everyone was putting their money there. But what happened to us is once we got built out, we, were, I mean, we really had a really nice setup out there, indoor as well as greenhouses. We got a notice from the Gorge Commission that said that, you know, Multnomah County is okay with cannabis. And even though this is Multnomah County, we are on the edge of the of, of the National Scenic Area, which has some federal implications. So as a result, no medical, no recreational at all either. So at that point, you know, in, in 2017, 420, we actually had an eviction notice on our door after coming back from one of those great dispensary drop-offs where right? our product's selling out and we're dropping off more product and we were evicted and it kind of went from a real great high down to a low of really trying to, to get stabilized and find our footing again when um, everyone kind of lost everything. So you know, like, I think that's a great way to sum it up. There were a lot of great things and definitely a lot of negative things that, that
1: happened. Just to make sure I heard you right, they evicted you on 420? Literally on 420.
0: Yeah. You got to think there's something there, right? That wasn't on accident.
1: Obviously, you rebounded. Where do you feel your brand is now as a cultivator, as an Oregon brand? How do you feel about Loud right now?
0: Yeah. You know what? I finally feel like I've accomplished something. I'll I say that. You know, I think uh, you, you've seen How to Be a Millionaire. What, what was that show, uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, right? Back then where,
1: you know, you had like
0: three questions before you get to $10,000, right? And then you got three questions before you get to the next one. And I would tell you for the last seven, eight years, I have felt like, I would say before last year, you know, we really launched loud and we went really hard. I felt like I was still on question one, two, and three, right? Or maybe the third one. And I'm phoning a friend. I'm doing whatever I can do just to get to the point where I actually have won something, right? Where I can say I walked away and I at least got something in my pocket, right? I did something. So I I think that that's how I feel in, in actuality. But I think, you know, that's a lot. You know, it has a lot to do with the humble grower, right? The grower has to be humble. We have to... because the, the plant humbles us each and every day. So no grower I know gets too high, you know, on, on things that are happening. But without a doubt, I feel like we built, you know, my dream company and my, my dream brand in a lot of ways. I think it speaks the way that I wanted to speak. I think it looks how, you know, me and the team wanted to look. And I think we are holding the flag high, you know, for the Pacific Northwest, for stoner culture and for that grow from the basement, you know, what it can be. You know, to grow from the basement and then get out there and compete with these people who are much more funded, have many more uh, resources and, you know, just compete based on authenticity, on quality of your product and on creativity.
1: Talk to me now about the social and economic justice aspect of what you do, all of the things that you've been involved with, because honestly, I don't know how you have time to build a business with how much good you are doing outside of it. What was the first thing you got involved in? And then where did it branch off from there? Was it the Minority Cannabis Business Association?
0: Yeah, you know what? I would say first and foremost, where it's kind of built up is like so many people that have helped me along the way. I've been kicked out of school. I've been kind of left to the side. I've been arrested. All these different things have happened. and There have been programs, people, resources that have helped me to create a different future for myself. Right, So that, without a doubt, sticks with me. I know there's nothing that I've done and that I will do that I can't probably name about 20 or 30 people that if they didn't do this, if this person didn't do that, and there's no way it would have happened. So I think, without a doubt, it's kind of my life in general, is paying homage to me knowing what that can do for someone, and I think kind of leading. So, so the the people within the organizations like the like Inroads, an organization that myself and my wife went through, that is an organization that's focused on taking college talent and connecting them with really great internships. My internship that I got with Inroads was General Electric, which even though they rescinded my offer because I because of my record and because I failed a cannabis hair test, that led me to Siemens right um which was another great company so inroads and that whole platform and what they did to connect people to resources and just seeing that it was possible by being connected and then going off on your own and then just creating something on your own just just by the idea of knowing that it's possible. So that has been a real testament to everything in my life. So when I got in the cannabis industry and saw so much of my opportunity, just amazing, you know, amazing opportunities left and right, things hitting me left and right, there's no way that I could, you know, I just can't do that stuff, you know, benefiting without also lifting as I climb. That's also something that my fraternity, Omega Psi Phi has taught me and kind of bred in me. So you lift as you Climb so there's no way I can climb anymore without lifting. And as I'm climbing in this cannabis industry, I join with some people, and I'm looking at the Minority Cannabis Business Association, and you know, a great group of people. It definitely wasn't just me. People like Wanda James, people like Shalene uh, Title, people like Jason Ortiz, all these people that have been doing amazing work across the country in some of these different things. Shalene really was the lion of Massachusetts and this this equity policy legislation. So. I joined with all those people and just through kind of working within the form of vision, we were able to accomplish some great things with MCBA. And I think once I stepped down from that, I stepped down because it was actually exactly the the year that I got evicted. Right. And I'm like, man, I maybe if I would have been at some of those meetings when they were deciding those rules at the Gorge Commission, maybe I could have lobbied and, you know, stated my case, but I wasn't there, right? And as a result, my business suffered and the people that were counting on me ultimately suffered, right? Even though I paid everyone back. So I saw that, I stepped down from MCBA and my wife did as well at the time because she had our son, our first son. So we're at home, we're building business. we got great opportunities. And so many things happened with working with the city on the new cannabis tax. The city of Portland was deciding where they were going to spend their cannabis tax. And I was in those meetings just by being connected through MCBA, even though I wasn't on the board anymore. And my wife and I proposed the idea to use some of this cannabis tax to help with these community efforts, help with people getting in business. So being at the right place at the right time and just carrying those opportunities of making sure that in this door that I see that's opening, that I make sure that it doesn't get shut. Right. And that other people have the ability to get in. So it's it's not a it's not a heavy lift. From that, we started a new project, which last year crossed the million dollar mark in grants and zero percent interest loans. And that's partly funded by the city of Portland Cannabis Tax and all the great business owners, partly funded by individual businesses large businesses, small businesses funded by individuals. So it's a, it's an effort of showing that these public private community connections within the cannabis industry can build something that's really powerful and special and leads the way. So, you know, all these things kind of come together pretty easily, man. That's the beautiful thing about this cannabis industry that I've been lucky to, to have is that there's so many opportunities. There's just low-hanging fruit. And we used to use this in the, in the corporate area. All oh, you got, hey, you got low-hanging fruit. It's a great term because it's it's true, it's low-hanging. Look at the fruit. It's right there. Grab it. It's there. You might need someone to show it to you. You might need someone to, to help you wash off the fruit, whatever it is. But there's so much low hanging fruit and opportunity for it to, to hand out of people to grab in this industry. So just understanding that and having a commitment to it not only does a wonder for opening up those opportunities, because there's a lot of people that want to help. People want to do good things in this industry. That's the beautiful thing about it. It's born from activism. So people want to join in. It's not difficult if you kind of paint that vision for them and show them what to do. that's great and that becomes so easy so much easier to build up a big resume in a short amount of time by accomplishing things because there's a lot to be accomplished very easily And I think the other aspect of it is because this is a beautiful industry and because of the industry that it is and this is what I tell people all the time is that you have to focus on these efforts that uplift the community, especially communities that have been harmed by cannabis prohibition enforcement directly, because not just because it's the right thing to do. I mean, that's great. It's the moral thing. That's the easy. And that's what people normally attach to. Right. But that easily can be a pendulum. Right. That, that slide. People want to do something nice one day and next day they're worried about Ukraine. Right. Which is just that's just the way the world is. We have to focus on the fact that doing these things is the best thing for the growth of the industry period and point blank. If people don't see a place for themselves in this evolving cannabis industry, you've got less customers. You've got less ideas. You've got less innovative ideas. You've got less brands that connect to people. I mean, you've got less products, product evolution. You've got less quality. There's just all kind of things in there that show that these efforts are the way to build our industry to create not just another industry, but a better industry. And I think that's, that's really easy for people to get behind. And I think that's why it's been easy for, for myself to build up this resume. But it also is connected to amazing people like some of the people I mentioned, especially including Jeanette, my wife, who is, you know, without a doubt, the pit bull behind a lot of these efforts and making sure a lot of these things happen and get executed.
1: Your work predates Measure 91, so you've seen the transition and growth of our young industry. What do you believe Oregon has done well in that regard? Yeah, a lot.
0: Ultimately, you know, if I wouldn't have been in Oregon, there was no social equity when I was getting started in any place, right? So, you know, I'm very thankful to have landed in Oregon primarily because... The way that they built the industry is focused on small business growth. It's focused on opportunities. It's focused on lower barriers of entry, right? Which I'm thankful for. I think you know some people on the back end of it are not as thankful because it created a market that is extremely competitive, right? And and some people say saturated, right? But you know I think for the most part very competitive. So I. I love that aspect, right? I I would have been someone's cultivation manager versus an owner if I would have been in many of these other states uh, whenever I got started. So the fact that there's lower licensing fees, unlimited licenses, there used to be. Now there's a moratorium on all licenses. Right. So that's that's what I don't love about it. But without a doubt, I think that focus on small business growth and opportunity for smaller businesses is the way to go. in cannabis industry startups in in these new states and and even states that are more mature.
1: On the other side of the coin, what do you think still needs to be addressed here in Oregon? I think without a doubt, the, the most
0: glaring thing is the fact that we are one of the only states with no social equity policy at a state level. There's no social equity assistance from OLCC at the state. You know, there's no money and tax money going towards any of these communities directly focused on communities that have been harmed by cannabis prohibition. And that's a massive miss, without a doubt. The most recent measure, I think Measure 110, came in and swept up all the cannabis money. And many of the legislators uh, used that as a reason for saying there is no cannabis uh, tax money, even though there were many carve-outs and ways to get around it. A lot of the Measure 110 leaders and representatives and legislative representatives who are in favor essentially kind of left the social equity aspect in these communities that have been targeted by cannabis prohibition enforcement out of that assistance, not only just through taxes, but also through licensing, also through support for businesses. I think the city of Portland is doing some great things under the leadership of Dashida Dawson and some people that preceded her. You know, without a doubt, the, the state of Oregon is missing is missing the boat on a lot of great entrepreneurs who, who could help to, to elevate the industry.
1: Do you think that can still be addressed at the state level? Or do you think you're now left to piecemeal it like you did with Portland and negotiate with bigger metropolitan areas, cities, counties?
0: You know, I think there's still some things that can be done. Primarily at the at the OLCC level, you know, Steve Marks and, and a lot of guys there are advocates, you know, and they are leading, I think, in the right way in so many different areas. So I think there are some things that can happen at the OLCC level, and we're still hoping that that moves in the right direction. But I think, without a doubt, when we look at you know the level of support that is needed, I think we have missed the boat, and I don't know if we will have another chance to rewrite that story because of. The legislative lift that it really takes to get that stuff done, I think there was a big lift with so many different community organizations and so many different dollars and support. And, you know, there was so much support from the legislative representatives. But then right at the last minute, the rug was kind of pulled out from underneath the whole effort. And I think that's a real glimpse into Oregon politics as a whole, and something that makes me very doubtful that the, the state of Oregon will move in, in the right direction, similar to how so many other states across the country have, have just you know moved and, and, and jumped us in leaps and bounds as it relates to building an industry that is really equitable, an industry that's really diverse and is, is supportive of these targeted communities really getting an opportunity as we build this new market.
1: Do you believe if we see federal reform, there'll be an opportunity to see that kind of, and it's so hard for me to say reinvestment. With the war on drugs, reinvestment sounds hollow, right? It's just, it's not the right word. But trying to repair the damage, or at least trying to address the damage that was done for 50 years now almost, do you think federal reform is the last best hope for that type of addressing of that damage.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, something, the, the R word you never want to use when you're specifically, when you're talking about black assistance, right. It's something, you know, reparations is something that really, unfortunately in our case has, you know, even related, not even talking about slavery, but reparations is exactly what it is. And I, you know, I've shied away from the word just because I, I typically like to use words that are more effective. And people usually have a real block there. And it it is, that is what it is. But what I typically say is, you know, recognize the harms done, four to one as a whole, in some places as much as 90 to one, believe it or not, right? Just crazy stuff when you look at targeting. So recognize that and then help to reconcile that, right? So recognize and reconcile is the way that I kind of phrase it as you look at, Things that can happen from a federal level, uh, specifically like the tax dollars that come from the federal level, right? I think there's a lot of hope and a lot of promise in those dollars, at least being open to being used in the right way, right? Once it's actually filtered down and you look at the results, right? A lot of times, a lot of money isn't used the way that it should be. But I think that opening up those categories, I think we have a lot of room for at the federal level. I think the main area at the federal level, outside of making sure that tax dollars are used effectively... To help to recognize and reconcile uh, some of these harms is making sure that access to licensing is set up in a way that does not create a lot more barriers. For example, some of the stuff in the Moore Act where people were against it showed barriers to getting licenses and having a felony, right? You couldn't have a felony and get a license, Canada's felony specifically. You had to go through a bonding agency or a lot of these things that are typically set up with a lot of barriers that are not typically accessible to communities with low access to capital. And resources. So I think that's the target area from my standpoint in the federal implications of legalization is making sure that tax dollars are used effectively and making sure that access to licenses and access to these federal funds for things like small business assistance are made available specifically for these communities. So I do have hope that those things can be happened. I think they can happen. I think they're simple enough for Legislative representatives to understand and to get behind based on some of the bills that we've seen. So I'm optimistic about it, but extremely cautious.
1: How should the industry address the continued stigma surrounding cannabis? I know that it's been a barrier for the Oregon industry on so many fronts that it still feels illicit for a lot of people out there. And forty-seven percent of the state of Oregon said no, they do not want this. So how should the industry address that stigma?
0: Yeah, that's interesting, man. You know, I, I you know all I can say and what we do at Loud is instead of running away from things that have typically seen as, as negative taboos, we kind of put it on a pedestal. You know? This stoner culture, the, these words that we use, who we are, we, we, like I said, wave the flag proud, you know, and I think some of us, we open up more to the industry because we don't stand in our power as it relates to who we are and we're consuming a legal substance just like anything else, we tend to kind of shy away from those conversations because, for example, I am in an apartment right now. I just got this new apartment and we have some neighbors, right? And we share an elevator. And I have come home from work before, right? Smelling like cannabis a little bit and gone up an elevator. And because of the weed smell in the elevator, you have people in this like group text, Telling me it smells like my apartment's been hot boxed and blah blah blah, and they're kind of really coming down on me and making me feel a little very um, anxious, you know, in my own place of living because of something that is legal in the city of Portland, right? You know, unfortunately, I I don't really have a great answer for that other than you know I think us just continuing to, to kind of stand in who we are and kind of face it head on and and do it with a smile on our face, right, and do it uh, do it in a way that that is as inviting as possible, but also not apologetic.
1: Where do you believe the industry goes from here? I think it's going
0: to be amazing, man. I think it's going to be uh, the greatest industry in the country. I think it's going to just think about it, man. If all these different issues we have with alcohol, if all these people are sitting around smoking joints, how much less violence will we have? How much less abuse at home, right, with children or with, you know, domestic abuse? How many less car accidents? How, you know what I mean? So there is a lot that can be done to show people the good of cannabis and i think that's where the industry go can go right to reach that peak in a place where even people who don't consume or who don't you know necessarily love cannabis can appreciate the value of the plant and and what it brings to us as a society
1: if people want to learn more about loud cannabis where do they go cool check
0: us out on our website always being updated uh, www.loudlowd.com instagram of course very active at the loud T A G L O W D. you can find me uh jesse horton j-e-s-c-e-h-o-r-t-o-n on instagram
1: and Nowhere in our conversation did you tell me what L-O-W-D meant. <laughs> I
0: was going to mention that, yeah.
1: What do those letters mean?
0: We play with it a little bit. Uh, love our weed dailies, essentially, or love Oregon weed daily. Again, you know, uh, holding that stoner culture proud and putting it up front.
1: Jesse, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Jesse Horton, CEO of Loud Cannabis Mainstream Media. In previous episodes, we've taken you behind the scenes at a dispensary. We've talked to a cultivator about what it's like to get set up and run that type of business. On our next episode let's talk about edibles, how they're created what goes into it, how they're used, and why that market seems to be growing at a rapid pace here in Oregon That's next on Mainstream Media on the Coin Podcast Network.